Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You may be seated. That's God's word for his people today. Let's pray once again and ask for God's help. So, Father, we pray that you would make your word come alive to us this day, that you would lead us in the green, life-giving pastures of your word. Be our good shepherd. Give us life and joy in it, we pray. For you alone have the words of life. So we look to you to give it to us for the glory of your name today. Amen. Uh, When I was growing up, my mom taught me and my siblings the children's song, I've Got the Joy. Some of you might remember that. If you don't, I'm going to poorly sing it, sort of. You know, you know how it goes. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Yeah, down in my, you know it, right? Where? Down in my heart, where? I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart, down in my heart, yeah, Tuesday. And when I was little, I was, I I always wondered why only on Tuesdays? That's not a dad joke, that's for real, you know, you're like, where did it go the rest of the week? And then one day my mom was singing while she was doing something around the house, I don't remember, and I was like, oh, Tuesday, not, not Tuesdays, <laughs> you know, Tuesday. I was like, that makes more sense. And I just wonder, like, uh, when you grow up and you remember some of these songs and you, maybe, maybe you've ever asked the question, can that really be true? Joy, 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 fullness of joy down in your heart, not just one day a week, but to stay every day of the week. And Galatians 5 actually does tell us that it's true. It's true for God's people. For the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit gives and grows in each and every one of God's children is joy. And last week we started uh, our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit, looking at what it means for God to be love and how the Holy Spirit then grows that love in God's people by reordering our love from self to a supreme love for God and then a deep love for our neighbors. And today's fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love, joy. And as I was beginning to look through this and think through our, our weeks together this summer, I, it, it struck me that joy came next in the list. Maybe because of how little joy I often see in the world, how little joy we can actually see in the church, uh, how much toil and trouble fills our days in this world. And so if it strikes you a little strange like it did me, maybe, maybe that's because we're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe because we're looking at everything and everyone around us rather than looking up to God. And so I want you to take just a moment and think about three things 
that you could say about God. Think, think, think about three things, or one or two, just, just a couple things about God. If I asked you, tell me about God, what three things would come to mind? Now, I'm sure many of you had sovereign. Sovereign popped into your mind. And it's true. God is sovereign. But while sovereignty tells us the great truth of God's rule and reign and control, what sovereignty doesn't tell us is how God carries out his sovereign rule and reign. Brothers and sisters, think about that. How does God sovereignly rule all things? How does he go about his sovereignty? Not glumly, not harshly, not like Eeyore. Oh, well, here we go again. It's not, he's not even neutral. God is eternally and abundantly joyful. He's the happy God. Paul tells us this in his letter to 1 Timothy. He says this in verse 1, uh, or chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, God reveals that he is the blessed God. The blessed God. And in then in, at the end of the letter, in chapter 6, verse 15, uh, Paul writes this, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. God reveals to us that he is blessed. That word blessed means happy. It's not often translated happy because of how we use the word in English. But happiness in our, in our language is fragile and fleeting. Happiness can come and go. I'm happy when I have an ice cream cone when it's really hot out. And I'm unhappy that it's melting faster than I can eat it. All right? We're happy when things go our way. We're immediately unhappy when they don't. Happiness can come and go. But that's not how the word happy is used in the Bible. The word happy in the Bible has a sense of deep and abiding contentment. Joy. It's a happiness that isn't fragile or fleeting. And God tells us in his word that he himself is deep, abiding, and abounding happiness. He's the eternally blessed God. He's eternally happy. And there's many reasons for this, but one reason God is eternally happy is because he actually lacks nothing. He has no lack. And Paul says this during his sermon to the Athenians in Acts 17. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven, there it is, sovereignty, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is a fullness of joy because he's not in need of anything. He's not in need of being satisfied. Rather, he's the great satisfier of all, which means God didn't create because he needed to fill some void in himself, but rather God created because he wanted to share his overflowingly happy life. He desired to share his joy with his creatures. Our God is the eternally happy God. So, brothers and sisters, when you think of God, how long does it take you to remember the fact that God is absolutely joyful? 
never-endingly, aboundingly, overflowingly happy. And does that fact of God's eternal happiness, his lacking nothing fullness of joy, does that impact your view of him? How would that change your view if you've had, you knew God had that countenance and that's how God ran the world, joyful? How would that impact your thoughts about him, how you interact with him, and the life he's given you? How, how you would carry it out, how you would walk with him in every day he's given you? So I want us to see this morning two ways God's overflowing joy impacts the life of his children. How, what does it mean for God to be eternally happy when it comes to us? In two ways. The joy is produced and joy pursued. There's a joy produced and a joy pursued. So first, joy produced. That's what we've been talking about. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is produced because the God who is fullness of joy produces joy in his people by his Holy Spirit. God's Spirit makes God's people a joyful people. That should mark us. It is part and parcel with our salvation that we will be a joyful people. And so let's look at two ways joy is produced. All right, two, two words. I got, I got a lot of alliteration today. So joy produced, joy pursued. How does joy get produced in God's people? By deepening and directing. Deepening and directing. The first way God's Spirit produces joy is by deepening our trust in God. The Spirit deepens our trust in God. There's a great book called The Joy of Calvinism, which might sound like an oxymoron to some people. But it's, it's an amazing book. It's called The Joy of Calvinism by Greg Foster. It's uh, published by Crossway. Uh, and it talks about that, the, it doesn't talk about it, it argues that the doctrines of grace will make God's people the most joyful people on earth. Right? Because how can you be joyless if you truly know the glorious good news of the gospel? You can't be. If God is sovereign, sovereign over all things, including your deadness in sin, and you were on your way to hell with no way to change it, and God did everything necessary for our salvation from sin and eternal death, then how can you be joyless? Calvinism produces a joy. Or in other words, the gospel produces joy. And contrary to the stereotypes of Reformed people, we must not be the frozen chosen, but we should be the joyful chosen. The joyful chosen. And so uh, in the book, uh, the author defines joy this way, and I really like how he defines it. He says, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a settled certainty that God is in control. Joy is a settled certainty that God is in control. And so the Holy Spirit produces joy in us by deepening our trust in the fact that we are safe and secure no matter what happens because God reigns. That the God who lacks nothing is with you always and for you always. That produces joy. So it's not that joy has nothing to do with our emotions or it doesn't lead us to experience or feel certain things, but rather that joy itself is not an emotion. 
Joy is the settled conviction, a certainty, that the eternally happy God is in control, which helps us see how the Holy Spirit grows the fruit of joy in our lives. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see the glory and beauty of God. In, in simple terms, the Holy Spirit helps us see who God is, like what he's done, what he's promised to do. And as we have eyes to see our God, the Holy Spirit deepens our trust in God and produces joy. Our joy overflows as the Spirit deepens our trust in God. That's the first way. Another way the Holy Spirit produces joy is by directing. The Holy Spirit directs our desires towards Jesus Christ. Joy is produced as the Holy Spirit is directing our desires towards Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit begins to do this by giving us eyes not only to see who God is, but also to see what sin really is. It gives us eyes to see what sin truly is. It is fleeting and deadly. Fleeting and deadly. You know, we see this in Hebrews 11, the whole of faith, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. But it, it, it helps us see what the Holy Spirit is doing, is specifically in producing joy, when it talks about the faith of Moses. It says this in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God and chose to, and did not choose to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I find that so helpful because it's brutally honest about the reality that sin gives pleasure. Sin gives pleasure. If it didn't, it wouldn't be tempting. You, you, you wouldn't want to do it. You wouldn't go towards it. You, you wouldn't seek whatever it is that sin is particularly is holding out to you if it didn't give pleasure. But now let's be totally honest. Sin gives pleasure, but its pleasure is temporary and fleeting. It's there for a moment, and then it's gone. That's like my ice cream cone on a hot summer day. It's there, and then it's not. It's like trying to catch your shadow. You get really close, and then it's just out of reach, and you always come up empty-handed. That's, that's what finding satisfaction as sin is like. You get just close enough to think you're going to be satisfied, and you're left empty. And so the Spirit helps God's people say no to temptation, not only by reminding us who God is and what he's like and what he's promised to do, but by giving us eyes to see the reality of sin. That though the pleasure is real, it's temporary and fleeting. So it's not worth it because it won't actually satisfy. But the Holy Spirit's work doesn't end with directing our desires away from sin. The Holy Spirit also directs our desire towards a greater reward. And this is why we have to be honest about sin. We can say it gives pleasure. It just doesn't give full pleasure. It's temporary and fleeting and deadly. And the Holy Spirit isn't directing our desires away from pleasure. It directs our desires towards a greater reward, 
towards full pleasure, pleasures forevermore. That's what we see in the life of Moses. He was he counted being with Christ better than anything that Egypt, with all its wealth and power, could offer, even if that meant bearing reproach, even if it meant suffering. So the Holy Spirit actually produces joy not by stopping our pleasure-seeking. The Holy Spirit produces joy in us by directing our desires toward the only one who can truly satisfy us, who can satisfy our longings and our desires. So brothers and sisters, what if you not only thought of God as eternally happy, that, that's a great start. But what if you not only thought of him as eternally and abundantly and overflowingly happy, but also chose to believe by faith, like Moses, that everyone who looks to God and turns to him will also be supremely happy now and forever? How would your view of God impact your, your daily life if those things were real and true to you? I love how Thomas Watson, an old Puritan pastor, he, he puts it so simply. He says, God is a delicious good. God is a delicious good. And unlike, he goes on to say, a delicious meal that ends and you'll be hungry within another few hours, God is so delicious you can never fill up on him and he will never cease to satisfy. God is a delicious good. So, brothers and sisters, when the fleeting pleasures of sin come knocking, remember that God is deliciously more satisfying than anything this world can offer. So taste and see how deliciously good God is. And so the Holy Spirit produced joy is deepening our trust in God. And it does that by decreasing our desire for sin, and increasing our desire for God. And that's the joy produced, which leads then secondly to a joy pursued, a joy pursued. So once the Holy Spirit is producing joy in God's people's lives, they will pursue joy by the Spirit, right? Because remember, joy isn't an emotion. It's a settled certainty and who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. Which means then joy isn't a feeling we wait for, but it's a path we choose to walk. It's not a feeling that we wait for, it's a path we choose daily to walk. And we can either pursue our joy in God, or we're going to pursue it elsewhere. We are going to pursue joy. That's not the question. The question is, where are we going to pursue it? So I want us to see what walking by the Spirit means when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit and joy. Because there's two ways the Holy Spirit leads and guides us to pursue our joy. First, we pursue joy in God. Pursue joy in God. Since God is the eternally and abundantly joyful God, all those who pursue Him will have eternal and abundant joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be down deep in your heart, and it's there to stay. Listen to one of my favorite verses, Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're going to stick with this verse for just a couple minutes. By God's Holy Spirit, God has revealed to us in the Bible the path of life. He's made known to us the path of life. It's the way to live so that God is supremely glorified. And Ken and I did not plan. This is how the Holy Spirit works these things together. We see Jesus walking the path of life on his way to death by doing the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. The Hebrews writers then says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, chose the path of doing God's will. So the way to live that path of life is to love God supremely and love our neighbors as ourselves. We see now how love and joy start becoming intertwined here in the fruit of the Spirit. And as we walk the path of life, as the Spirit enables us to walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh, we will experience the fullness of joy that's in God's presence. We don't walk the path of the flesh. That's the seeking our joy and pleasure in the things listed in verses 19 to 21. That's the path of death, not life. The flesh lies to us that we'll find our joy in the things either happening or that are a result of the works of the flesh in verses 19 to 21. But the Spirit leads us by the path of life into God's presence where we receive fullness of joy. That path of life, doing God's will, loving Him supremely, loving our neighbors as ourselves is the path of fullness of joy. I remember uh, when I was playing sports, my coaches would always yell, I want you to give me 110%. And I always wanted to say, there's no such thing. You can only have 100. And I can't even give you that right now. You've been running me ragged for hours. But we all know what that expression means, right? Give me 110%. There's no holding back. Give it, give it, give it all. And that's what the eternally joyful God does for those who pursue their joy in God by walking the path of life. He doesn't hold anything back. Fullness of joy is in his presence. It's not like a little carrot along the way that he he keeps out in front of you that you never can't quite get. Fullness of joy is in the presence of the fullness of joy who lacks nothing eternally abundantly overflowing happy God. And he doesn't hold anything back of his goodness and joy from those who seek him. You'll be 110% satisfied when you taste and see the goodness of God. So five points, don't pursue your joy in anything or anyone or anywhere else. Pursue it in God. I love how uh, Jonathan Edwards applies this in a sermon. He says it this way. If the godly man might have his choice either to live always in this world in the enjoyment of all manner of worldly prosperity or in God's time die and go to heaven to dwell forever there in the enjoyment of God and Jesus Christ, he would choose the latter. He would choose the latter. When you begin to taste and see the goodness of God, you, you begin to taste and see how unsatisfying the things of this world really are. And we know that in all our different levels and in all our different seasons of life and all our different stations. 
We work for something, we long for something, we look to something, we get it, and we're not satisfied by it. But here's the God who holds out the path of life into his presence where fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore are found. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to walk by the Spirit by pursuing our joy in God. And so let me get a little bit more specific here before we move on. How, how can this joy produced lead to a pursuing fullness of joy in God? Well, think about love. Uh, the love of a person is a great gift. It's a great gift. Whether that's a friend who's closer than a brother, who you know no matter when or what time or what's going on, you can call and they'll be there. Or the love of the family of God in this room for each other. Or the love of a person of the opposite sex and who you're either married to or pursuing. Though The love of a person's a great gift. And by the Spirit, we can thank God for His good gift of love. And then, the way to pursue our joy in God is not only thank God for His good gift, but not make it an idol. <laughs> to not let our love for others or things consume us or let it take the place of God. And we can do that by daily meditating upon the great love of God for us in Jesus Christ and his promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And, and the proof of his love, this unbreakable love that is ours, comes as we cast our eyes to the cross upon which his holy beloved son hung upon not for his sins but for his people's sins and so we walk by the spirit as we're given the eyes of faith to look upon Christ and to treasure God's great love for us above every other earthly love we could have that's how you pursue your joy in God and so we take whatever it is if it's not love Whatever it might be, you take whatever it is that you're tempted to pursue your joy and to find your satisfaction in, to look to, uh, instead of God, for, for some pleasure or desire or joy, and ask the Spirit to guide you in finding whatever that thing is holding out to you to find it in God instead. And pursue your joy in Him and we could just keep going on and on. If you would like to talk about some of these things, be happy to anytime. Any one of the elders would as well. But these are the ways we pursue our joy in God. By, by asking the Holy Spirit to help us in the various things that each one of us have holding out to us to say, find your joy in this. To not deny yourself the pleasure, but to say that thing won't satisfy than to ask the Spirit to help you find whatever it is that you're wanting and longing and desiring to find it in God instead. That's how we pursue our joy in God. And the second way that the Holy Spirit enables us to uh, pursue joy is not only to pursue our joy in God, but to pursue our joy in heavenly realities. Pursue joy in heavenly realities. Now, every day we wake up with real things all around us real needs, real things to do, real bills to pay, real people to care for, real people that need our support, real pressures, real problems, lots of realities all around us. 
But while the things of daily life are real, we can never forget that there are realer things. There are more real things. I like realer. It helps me better. Because some of you grammar police are really frustrated right now. But, but pursue your joy in God, not in me speaking correctly. There are real things all around you, but there are realer things we must never forget. If your joy is tied to the real things of life, your joy will never be full. But when you pursue your joy in heavenly realities, your earthly circumstances will never steal your joy. And that's why Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 10, they came to him excited. He had sent them out. They came back to him in Luke 10 that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And he says this in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. What's he tell them to rejoice in? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's not that we shouldn't we shouldn't be excited about what God is doing in the world. It's not that there's not real things around us, but there's more realer things that will actually lead to a fullness of joy. So five points. When's the last time you pursued your joy in a heavenly reality, like basking in the amazingly free and gracious fact that your name is written in heaven and that your name can never be erased because your name is graven on your Savior's hands? You can't be lost. Jesus will not lose one of those the Father gives to him. No matter what. Nothing can erase your name if it's written in heaven. And brothers and sisters, here's a few more heavenly realities that can make your joy overflow. God the Father loved you from all eternity and will love you for all eternity. God the Son loved you and gave himself for you. And he is right now interceding for you at his and our Father's right hand, and he's preparing a place for you to spend all eternity with him, enjoying his love. The God, the Spirit, lives in you, and by his powerful presence, he is finishing in you what God began before the foundation of the world, which means you're on your way to an eternal future of joy unspeakable, and there is nothing there is not a single thing that can keep you from that future of love and joy unending because every single person our triune God saves cannot be lost. These and hundreds more of heavenly realities in the Bible are why Paul can say to the Corinthians in his second letter to them in chapter 6 that he can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How can you be sorrowful and rejoicing always? Because that's an oxymoron in our world. How can you be sad and happy? You see why we don't translate the word happy? <laughs> sorrowful and joyful. How can you be sorrowful and joyful at the same time? Because for the Christian, sorrow and joy aren't actually opposed to each other. We choose joy. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's a settled certainty. So we can choose to walk the path of joy, even in times of sorrow, not by pretending nothing bad has happened, not by faking 
that something bad has happened and we're just putting on a happy face. We choose joy in times of sorrow by remembering who God is and what he's promised to do in and through our sufferings. He's promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That if he gave us his very own son, we cannot be separated from him and he will give us everything we need, even in suffering. He's promised to make us more like Jesus through our sorrow and sufferings, which makes the momentary afflictions nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory we have in God and Jesus Christ. And we have the promise that God is working all things, the good and the bad, for our good, so that one day we will see him face to face as he comes to make all things new. And what a day of joy that will be when we finally see our Savior, when we sit on that mountain and feast, as we watch death be swallowed up forever. And on that day, we will say, behold, this is our God. And we rejoice. And that day, one of my other favorite psalms, it says, on the day of, of joy, our mourning will be turned into dancing. And because that's true, that that day is coming, we can, brothers and sisters, pursue our joy in heavenly realities even when our earthly circumstances are sorrowful. We can have sorrow, or excuse me, joy, in the midst of our sorrows. Because the Holy Spirit produces the settled certainty in who God is and what he's promised to do. Do you have this joy? Do you know this joy? And friend, if you're here today and you're still longing for a fullness of joy that you've seen glimpses of, you've gotten real close to, but have come up empty-handed every time, that you've tasted fleetingly in this world, but you've never found the fullness of joy you long for, know that you can only find it by turning to the eternally happy God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to fullness of joy in God. And the great news is, all those who come to him in repentance of their sins, of seeking their joy in everything else but God, and come to Jesus in faith by believing he is the Savior, you will be ushered into God's presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore by turning in faith to Jesus. And so if you hear his voice calling, come and drink from the unending fountain of joy and delight in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, it's really not just a children's song, is it? It's not. If you have the Spirit, you can have and actually do have this fullness of joy, 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 down in your heart and it's down in your heart to stay. And so as the Spirit produces that joy in us, may we pursue it by his power and God for the glory of his name among our neighbors and the nations, we pray. Let's pray. Father, we long to know more of this true, overflowing, abundant joy that is ours because of the gracious work of the Spirit to help us see you and taste and see your goodness through Jesus Christ. 
We pray that the truths we believe would make us the most joyful people on earth. That those we encounter this week, amidst the sorrow, amidst the toil, amidst the trouble, would also see us joyful, would see us so happy in our eternally happy God that they wonder about the joy that's within us so that we might declare your glories among them, we pray. So help us this week to walk by the Spirit and to pursue our joy in you by remembering our heavenly realities that Christ has won for us that are truly ours. And we pray that as we live as your citizens of heaven, joyful in your great love for us, everything we say or do would be to the glory of your great name we pray. Amen.